0: The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be. I'm gold, sweeter also than honey than the
1: welcome to the believe and follow podcast I'm your host James Ritazzi this week's episode is following up on last week's on the topic of God's Grace. Two questions posed last week were What is God's grace? and Why is it important for us to understand? The following is some additional discussion focusing mainly on a passage in Hebrews and a passage in Romans, after which I'll have some summary comments. So, do you have something you want to talk about? I looked
2: up, I studied a little more about grace. Oh, good, good, good. But I didn't really find anything that I I thought would, you know, be a a new idea that
1: we hadn't discussed already. Right, right.
2: Let's see. Well, did you
1: find any other, like, texts that were talking about grace?
2: There was one in Hebrews that I had, it took me a little bit to... understand
1: what it was saying, I think. Yeah. Right. I see. In Hebrews 13.9. 13, okay. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. <laughs> so,
2: if you, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I wrestled with it for like 10 minutes, so I think I basically get it. But do you want to tell me what you think? Well, man, I think it's basically saying, for me at least, um, for it is. I, I think I was kind of confusing the idea of, so for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Mm hmm. Not to mean the actual thing, like, not, not the actual grace that we're getting, but the fact that we have grace. Does that at all make it? So it's good to be strengthened by knowing that you have grace. That's kind of how I was reading it, I think. Right. right? But I, 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 after a while, I, I just, you know, substituted it in the actual meaning of grace, and I think that that kind of fixed it in my head.
1: So, be strengthened by the fact. So, is he speaking just generically about grace, or is he speaking of God's grace here?
2: I think that has to be God's
1: For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by the unmerited favor that God bestows upon us. Mm-hmm.
2: So, it's not really even anything we're doing that we're strengthening, it's, it seems like. But it's all... You know, so it's not. it's not by foods, you know, which would be something that we're doing. Right. Or these strange teachings, whatever. but it's something that's out of our control, that's done by God, that,
1: that benefits us. That's how. And I think he's also making a contrast. Whoever wrote the letter to Hebrews, if it wasn't Paul, it was someone who was very influenced by Paul. What's implied in this sentence is the difference between the flesh and the spirit. If you're being strengthened by grace, that's a spiritual thing. You're not actually physically being strengthened. If you're hungry and you have a meal, you're actually physically, your physical body is being nourished but he's saying for it's it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And he's speaking specifically about something that's going on in their culture. Yeah, yeah, like maybe some kind of thing where it says, if you eat this, you'll... But he uses all those, like the verse starts off with do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, that false teachings are a work of the flesh because they don't come from God. In this chapter... It's one of those things where it's like the last chapter of the book, and the writer is just throwing off a bunch of closing thoughts. Because it starts off with, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know what that's talking about, right? Abraham and his experiences. So he's kind of like ticking off a list. Very Pauline. This is one of the reasons why some people think, oh, it's got to be Paul writing this. But it doesn't say, so
0: we don't say.
1: Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with men, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me remember your leaders now he's not talking about world leaders he says those who spoke to you the word of God So he's more talking about spiritual leaders, either elders, or apostles, or evangelists. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Catchy little slogan, right? Now we get to the verse that you're talking about. So this is just another little Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. But he has something specific in mind, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. What did the Apostle Paul often contrast grace with? We're not under the law, but under grace. And that contrast is purely an argument to the Jews because the Jews were under the Mosaic law. Have we shed enough light on this, or or have we made it more confusing?
2: No. I'm pretty sure I understand this one.
1: But Romans has a lot about the law versus grace. Look at Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in His sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We haven't gotten to the mention of grace here, but what do those two verses mean? Or what idea is it connected to? Are you saying
2: further on from this idea? Or... Let's just break down. What does it mean
1: to be justified? To be... Made right? Okay. In a general sense, not even thinking about it strictly concerning the Gospel, concerning spiritual things. What does it mean to be justified or not justified?
2: In, in my mind to be
1: shown that you were correct or not you know, like if,
2: if you find more evidence sometime later either supporting or denying something else that you had said or believed earlier
1: I think you're on the right track I think it's bigger even than correct Justified may even be like, well, what you're doing or what you are is appropriate. Let's say you see two people walk in here, and then one guy turns and punches the other guy, knocks him down. Then you say, what did you do that for? The guy wasn't doing anything. In your mind, he's not justified for punching that guy. But then somebody says... Just before they walked in, the guy who got punched said some foul things about this guy's mother. So they walked in and he punched him. So then you're going to go, okay, what did he say? violence. This might not be the greatest example, but at least in that guy's mind, he was justified for punching him. And you think it's perhaps a little bit more appropriate, even though you realize that it's never right to be the first person to punch somebody.
0: Usually
1: not. Usually not. But... He's more justified, it seems... A more. It's more appropriate. So the idea of being justified is like you're saying, yeah, correct, and right in what you're doing, you know, you're appropriate. But now what does it mean, justified in his sight? Who's the he that we're talking about here? Sorry.
0: <clears throat> God?
1: Yeah, exactly. So what does it mean to be justified in God's sight? Are any of us justified before God? Not by ourselves.
0: Yeah, so. exactly.
1: So God says, why did you do such and such a thing? Well, you got to understand how it's appropriate for me to have committed that sin. And God's going to say, no, no, it's not. You're not justified. So by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, what does it mean... This is an idea that goes throughout the book of Romans. What does it mean by through the law comes a knowledge of sin?
2: If we don't know we're doing wrong, we can't choose to be doing wrong. Like, you know, if God hadn't told Adam and Eve not to eat from the fruit, there would have been no problem.
1: At least, legally. (laughs) Right. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin... The idea that it's easier to justify yourself if you're not faced with a specific line that you crossed. Well, let's all just be nice to each other. But I could be doing something that's not particularly nice to you. But if there's a rule, then it's just like everyone should drive safely. Well, I'm such a good driver. I can drive safely ninety miles an hour, you know. But on this road, the government has decided that you can't only you, you, 20 miles an hour. Exactly. So if you exceed the speed limit, it doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It doesn't matter whether you're justified in your own sight. You violated the law. The law is very simple. You're going less than the speed limit, you're okay. You go over the speed limit, there's a line. It's very specific. You're very aware of what the violation is. That's what the law is about. That's why we have laws. Well come on you're all sensible people you've all got driver's licenses just be careful because you don't want to crack your car into somebody else's car or drive over the cliff or something like that Oh wait a minute now we've got all sorts of accidents happening I guess we got to make some rules here because it seems like our instruction to just you're sensible people you know how to drive just don't be stupid that's not working because look at all these accidents that were happening well we see that going around this curve people are always going off the road so let's put a speed limit on this curve there's a purpose to it there's a purpose to the law that God gave the nation of Israel but it was very specific in fact the more laws you have the more lines there are that you're going to have to be careful not to cross that was the Jews problem so we get that that's clear what's being said in 19 and 20 Let's go to 21 in Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So the law let us know what was appropriate, how we could be justified if we're obedient to the law, because we've got all these lines. Stand on the right side of the lines, and you can you've been obedient to the law. But there's a different manifestation now of the righteousness of God apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, even though the point of the law and the prophets is to point us towards this righteousness that God is wanting to express, that's totally apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then he makes this point, this was a big problem for the church back then, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, for there is no distinction, no distinction between what? Well, the people who are under the law and the people who are not. In other words, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. That's one of the themes of the book of Romans. We're all in the same boat. Whether we're Jewish or Gentile, we're all in the same boat. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God.
0: Now, and
1: are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So earlier we're talking about being justified by the law. I write a bunch of rules. If you're obedient to them, you're going to be justified. But now this righteousness of God that has now been made known in Jesus Christ, we can be justified by His grace as a gift Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? (laughs) That... I mean... To me it sounds
2: pretty simple. Okay. uh, Compared, you know... Considering what we've been talking about recently. (laughs) Right. You know... So Jesus... the, The sinless lie. And so he... I guess, I don't know, but I want to say that gave him the ability, but that that caused him to be able to take on any sins, you know, any sins that would cause death. And so he turned around and gave that out as a free gift to us. And so if we choose to accept that, then God looks at us and says,
1: you're right in my
2: eyes now you're
1: justified because of your connection with jesus and that's grace because you're not doing anything to earn that you're not giving jesus something of equal value to his life or his sacrifice so it's a gift as opposed to someone who's been perfectly obedient to the law they can feel justified just in their obedience like well i've earned it i haven't broken any laws so i've earned Your respect, God. And and that's what the Jews thought. They thought that they could be justified under the law. But the Apostle Paul saying, no, no, no. Because you're going to be guilty of something anyway. All the law says is that you're not guilty of that particular law or that particular sense of law. Here's an interesting thing. I'm going to read the next verse, then maybe we'll go back a little bit. Because there's a word here. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, what does the word propitiation mean? Magic. <laughs> Magic. It could be anything, right? It could have put any word there, because this is not a word that we usually use in our daily conversation. what's the definition of the word propitiation? See how quick your uh, fingers do the walking. Giving or indicating
2: a good chance of success. Favorable. That's what it says propitiation is? Oh, wait, hold on. No. I think it gave me the wrong word. Yeah, yeah, I think it did. Spell check, sorry. It's okay. Uh, The action of appeasing a
1: god, spirit, or person... I don't like that definition, and I will tell you why. An atoning sacrifice. Hmm?
2: An atoning atoning sacrifice
1: is good. If there was a word that I would substitute for propitiation, I would substitute the word satisfaction. I would go further to say just satisfaction. And here's the reason why I would go further to say that. Think of the world that the Apostle Paul is in back then. A lot of these pagan gods that they worship, you would make sacrifices to gods to appease them. In other words, they're bad at you for no good reason. So you would bring them a sacrifice to appease them. A lot of those Roman gods were brats, right? They would do nasty things to human beings just because they wanted to, just because they could. And you would have to do something to appease them like you would appease a child who's throwing a fit. There's a difference between appeasement and something that's a just satisfaction. So what would be a just satisfaction to God for our sins? As it turns out, only one thing. There's nothing we could bring that would be a just satisfaction for our sins. So that's why God provided His own sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is the propitiation by His blood So he's the just satisfaction. So the word propitiation means satisfaction. More just satisfaction, not appeasement. Only because the word appeasement implies that it's not a just satisfaction even though the word technically doesn't. But that's why I don't like using the word appease. You think that. If someone says appeasing, hey, how are you going to appease this kid? And so that's why I don't like to use the word appeasement. I like to use the word satisfaction. And I go further to say just satisfaction, because it's not like we're coming before the throne of a bratty little god. We're actually coming before the throne of mercy mercy seat, like you mentioned before. God wants to be merciful. God wants to be gracious. That's why He provides the sacrifice. But that sacrifice is the propitiation. Have we shed enough light on the word propitiation? <laughs> it's one of those words that you got to check the meaning of, because you're reading it. The first time I was reading through it, and I said, I have no idea what that word means. And it took me a while to really develop the meaning of it from discussing it with other people also. So whom God put forward, God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So God's putting forward the propitiation for our sins. God's providing the sacrifice for our sins. Isn't that also consistent with it being grace? Because there's no sacrifice that we could possibly bring. So he provides, here, I'm giving you the sacrifice. It's like we're going to the theater and we're going to have to buy a ticket to the theater. And you've got no money. And I go, hey, I'll buy you a ticket. I'm not saying I'll loan you the money for a ticket. I'm just saying like, hey, I'll buy your ticket. So I buy you a ticket. Because you didn't have the money. We don't have anything that's of enough value. So the only way we're going to get right with God, only way we're going to feel justified before God is by the value that he graciously provides to us. We point to Jesus and we go, this is my sacrifice. We could walk through Romans all day and Mm -hmm. and talk about grace. Because then he, he goes on to say, this is to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Does that make sense to you?
2: So is he saying that... Is that part saying... Like the, the phrase, this was to show God's righteousness. He's saying he, he did what was correct. He didn't just leave his creations, you know, in a state of, of death and destruction, but, but gave them a way to come back
0: from that.
1: Is yeah. In fact, two chapters later, he amplifies this thought, he says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As far as people are concerned, who's going to die for you? I might want to do you a favor. I might want to buy you a ticket to the movies. But if somebody comes over here and says, well, you know, you're going to have to die for this guy. I I might think twice. I shouldn't, but I'm going to say, wait a second now, is it my time to die? (laughs) I mean, the point that the Apostle Paul makes is, you know, people are not so quick to give up their lives for somebody who's their friend, but God all the more shows his righteousness by Jesus giving up his life for us while we were still his enemies. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just because we might point our finger at God and say well you created this mess <laughs> I didn't <laughs> maybe I would have done a better job
0: <laughs>
1: Well we you know that's not true but we might think that if we're having a conversation with God if we're being like Job I'd have something to say to God if he was right here but God fixes it we broke it but God fixed it so that he is just and also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, the one who takes advantage of the grace that's been given to us in the sacrifice of Jesus. The thing about Paul's writing is that if you just read through the whole thing, you might get a little bit confused, so you got to pick it apart. Most, a lot of, of Hmm? I think you'd be a lot confused. <laughs> yeah. But what you just got to do is pick it apart and break it down to its component parts, which are not confusing. Each of these individual concepts are not complicated to understand, but then he puts it all together. Then he says, and this is something that we discussed on Sunday, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law, or is God the God of the Jews only? It's interesting, Romans is like the flip side of Hebrews, because Hebrews was written to the Jews, but it has some things that are taking into account that there are Gentiles reading this, too. Romans is to Gentiles, but he's also taking into account the fact that there are Jews involved in this, too, and Jews are talking to those Gentiles.
2: I like like, uh, the, the verse 25, just what we just talked about, that he was showing his righteousness, because right. I kind of, in, in my head, I picture God as just, you know, I am, he is, you know, but there it seems to be saying he wants to prove himself to us, I guess. Not, not really that, but like, uh, prove who he is to us, maybe show that he's not just arbitrary, but hes he actually does care. He actually does, you know,
1: is a fair creator. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he's more than fair, because it says this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed off of former sins. So all the mess that you're reading about in the Old Testament... He knew that he was going to be justifying the people who had faith, even despite all that mess. So in his forbearance, he bent over backwards, not to immediately punish those people for those sins. In other words, the nation of Israel should have been wiped out a number of times. But he kept them going because he had something better planned for them. And the better thing that he has planned shows his righteousness because he held off the just punishment for all that nastiness that went on. So yeah, you're right. So the forbearance is something that has to do with his grace. There is also the aspect, though, that he's aware that he set this whole thing in motion anyway. So if he didn't provide a solution, then we wouldn't think he was just. We'd say to God, wait a minute now, I didn't create this world. Okay, so you're the creator, and it, it, it all belongs to you. This is your world. Fine. We messed it up, but you knew we were going to do it, so how are we going to fix this? And we could say that to God if it wasn't for him sending Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for our sins. If he said, you people are such horrible sinners, you're never going to live up to me. You're never going to be justified in my sight.
2: I'm just curious. What? Theoretically, God could have saved the world by any means, right? He just chose to do it through Jesus. I mean, because he's God, right? Because it's not like it's not like he's fulfilling a prophecy or anything. No, he created he, he the, the prophecy. Created the prophecy. So right. I mean, but just just as a thought and exercise. Yes, no.
1: Yes, he could have done it any way that he thought, but here's the thing, though. The way God did it is the best way it could have been done. Mm-hmm. So even though we might say, uh, it seems a little bit left-handed, it seems a little bit circuitous the way you went about this, God. God's going to say, what do you know about it? you really think you can do a better job than me at this? God's free to do whatever he wants, yes. But being God, he's not free to do anything but the absolute best way for it to be done. So the fact that he did it this way is the best way to do it, as a thought exercise.
0: Does that
1: make sense?
2: I didn't think that there was any other answer other than my answer of, yeah, he could have done it any way he wanted, but, I mean, because, again, he's God, you know, so he makes the rules, literally. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anything at all about, you know, whether it's a good way to do it or not, I mean, because it's just the way that it is, but, right. but I mean, if, if it is God, if you believe him, if you believe what he says about himself, then you have to, to
1: assume, slash believe that it is the best way. It is the best way. right, exactly, because he did it, he's God, he did it, so boom, yeah, exactly. Now, in the absence of the things we learn from God's word concerning his grace we might become puffed up or boastful when our plans and efforts have met with great success. On the flip side, we might beat ourselves up too much when things don't go so well. We learn from scripture that in a general sense, everyone benefits from God's grace. Look at the Gospel of Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 45. These are the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus makes an interesting point here. If you're working against people, you're working against God because he sends blessings to everyone. And that is the way it is in the current scheme of things. But scripture also teaches us that things won't always be this way. And God has appointed a time when he will ask for an accounting from all. And so to continue in God's grace after that, We all need to understand how God's grace will be administered in a specific sense. We already looked at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 last week, but it bears mentioning again. The Apostle Paul tells us, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air This is the ESV version, by the way. The Apostle John says in the first chapter of his gospel, at verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God has specifically placed future blessings for us in Christ Jesus. Now, in the absence of the things we learn from God's word concerning his grace... We would know nothing about all of this. We would know nothing about the blessings that are in Jesus Christ, and so when the time comes that God calls us all to account for ourselves, we will be completely unprepared. Most people will be completely unprepared because most people pay no attention to God's Word. This is why it is important for us to understand and contemplate. God's grace he's laid it all out for us so we will have no excuse when that time comes this causes you some concern good that's my objective here if you are concerned let me know and we will work through all this together if you have any questions comments or concerns or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org That's all for now. Goodbye, and God bless.
0: The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also